Would you like to live a healthier, happier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Vetter as he introduces you to cultures of health and healing. Get ready now to try out some healing beliefs and practices from far and wide. Here's the host of your show, Robert Vetter. Welcome back, listeners. I'm so happy that we have you joining us today for part two of this interview with Dr. Ashok Malhotra, who is sharing with us some amazing stories about growing up in India and the theme of healing and how we find that throughout the philosophy and practice in his life. So yes, in our last interview, he was talking about uh, his very younger years and growing up and the influence of his family life in understanding what healing is from a distinctly Hindu perspective. Now, we're going to be covering some other aspects of his life. And Dr. Malhotra, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being so patient with me. I'm a talker, and uh, I'll try to connect and reconnect to what I was saying earlier. There are two things that happened which are very memorable, my early years. One of them was, as I said, my grandmother uh, will prepare all this milk and uh, yogurt and uh, also along with it, uh, butter. And once I asked her this simple question, I said, if I want to be healthy, if I want to be strong, so what is it? that she suggests. And she said, I'm going to suggest to you yoga. Yoga is a very important discipline. And I could only understand, you know, a little bit of it. And I said, what does yoga say? How much should I eat? And she said, yoga means balance. And if you eat food, and the Urdu word she used was mikdar, in certain proportions, then you will always stay healthy. So I said, please elaborate, tell me. And she said, every time you eat, whether you eat your breakfast or you eat your lunch or your dinner, remember yoga balance, half of your stomach to be filled with solid foods. Don't eat more than Half. Just learn about your stomach. Half of it should be filled with solid food. One quarter to be filled with fluid, especially water. And then one quarter to be left for the gas to move around. And if you can balance it out, you will live for a long time. And she always used this Urdu, but also Sanskrit term. It was called Tandurust. Tan, like we have tantric yoga, taking care of your body, having mystical experience through the bodily uh, levels of consciousness, seminars, those conscious. But Tan means body. Drust means balanced. A balanced body, healthy body. Body which is healed body, which is the holy. So she will go through all this in Punjabi. 
that's the most important thing. And just to put it in our English language, she was saying, yoga gives you a life which is disease-free, balance. When you say disease, you're saying this is, this is a disease because you lost the balance. And if you eat according to that proportion, half solid, quarter liquid, and quarter per air to flow, then you'll always be healthy. But second thing which I learned during that time was I was a, a shy kid because I was a eight from the top. And other brothers and sisters could do many miraculous things. But I couldn't compete with them. But I found a way. And that way was that I'll start reading books when everybody went to sleep. I'll put on a tiny light and I'll read books. And during those moments, I read this about yoga and the balanced diet itself. Okay, so let me go from there. But the marvelous experience took place and it's memorable that changed my life. First, the story of Nightingale and Firefly changed my life. It stayed with me. But I was in the fifth grade and in India, fifth grade to 10th grade makes up what we call high school. So I went to the fifth grade. I was still a shy person. I took my first science course. And this teacher whose name was Sagal, and he some other liked me very much from the very beginning. And so he gave the first test, midterm test, and I was a shy person. And I wrote, you know, tried to memorize everything. And when he was returning our papers, our tests, he kept on giving the test back to students. There were 60 people in the class, big class. And he returned all the tests, 59 of them, except mine. I was so scared. I wanted to rush to the bathroom many times. <laughs> My lips were dried up. I said, what is going on? I must have done the worst thing in this class when he had to return my test. He looked at me. He says, your name is Ashok. I says, yes, sir. He said, come on over here. I was so frightened. I wanted to run and hide myself somewhere. And I went to him and he said, face the class. And I looked at the whole class. <laughs> And I saw those 59 times two, that many eyes looking at me. I was petrified. I was just, I wanted to run, but I couldn't. And he said to the whole class, don't you ever forget this kid. His name is Ashok. He wrote the best test. He's brilliant. I want all of you to be like him. I couldn't believe my ears. I thought there was a mistake, you know. I was always thinking I was at the bottom of the barrel in my own family. And I looked at the teacher and I didn't verbalize it. I told myself, 
I'll never let this teacher down. And rest of my life, and never let him down. As always the best student in all the subject, not just one subject, every subject. In high school, I had a highest grade. In college, when I did my top grade in the whole university, gold medal. When I came to Hawaii, I was the top student. And that is influential. That's what you have to listen to, commit yourself to. If teacher says that, don't just ignore it. Don't let it pass away. So that was the most healing moment as far as I'm concerned, most healthy moment because I had a certain view of myself because of comparing with eight other people in my family who were older than I was. And then parents, mother, father, grandfather, grandfather. So here we had 12 people about you. And so that was the most influential moment for me. And I went through my, you know, high school, and then I went to college and I got accepted in the best college in India, just like MIT, because I had the highest grade in my high school class. And so I went to this, it was called BITS, B-I-T-S, Birla Institute of Technology and Science. It's hard to get into BITS than to MIT. So I went there, and there I met this fabulous man who changed my entire life. I'm a philosopher because of him. His name was Dr. Rajiv Sinap. And he, some other, I took a course in philosophy. I was a student of sciences. So I took all kinds of sciences, physics, chemistry, mathematics. Calculus was my favorite subject. I didn't want to be a philosopher, but I took a course on philosophy. And he talked to me. He was a young man, like 30 years old. And he said to me, he says, you will be a great philosopher. And you have a great, wonderful future waiting for you. I said, I don't know. Uh, what is philosophy? A philosopher is a blind man in a dark room in moonless night looking for a black cat, which is not there. What are you talking about? And he said, you will realize what I'm saying today. And I studied physics, chemistry, mathematics for the first two years. Then I turned to uh, history, literature, psychology, philosophy, and then I moved straight into philosophy itself. And he was the one who helped me to get a grant to come to the Eastwest Center. He exposed me to philosophy. He exposed me to existentialism. He also exposed me to yoga and meditation. And during those years, I found out with the help of a student friend of mine that there was a person who was giving yoga instructions and they were free. And there was a Hindu temple, but temperature used to hit like 120 degrees. And during that time, when no classes were being held, so I walked with a friend of mine. So we went to this uh, temple, and there sitting this guy with a 
little uh, thing covering his private parts and he had no shirt on and he had this sacred thread around him and he had a little makeshift uh, uh, fan and the flies all around and he is doing this and drinking up water, water, water. So this friend of mine takes me there. So I said namaste to him and he said, go away, you college kid, because we have slacks on and shirt, American style or Western style. He said, go away, I don't have time for you. And I said, sir, Guruji, that means the great master, I have come here to learn yoga from you. And he said, ah, yoga is not for you. Just get away from me. And I said, you need to try me. If I like it, I'll be one of the best yoga students you ever had. And he said, okay, let's test you up. Sit down. And there was a sand because this was desert area, hot sand, and it burned my behind. I sat down on it just to prove him that I could do it, not to prove him wrong, just to show him appearances. You know, they, don't, they count, but they don't count. So anyway, so I sat down. So to make the story short, he started teaching us in Sanskrit, the language in which 196 statements of the yoga are written and it's called Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And I memorized those because I sat there three times a week, we will go there and he will give us the teaching for an hour, two hours, depending on his mood, three hours. And we had to learn. I still remember the first two, Atha Yoga Anushasnam. Here, now begins the study of yoga. And he said, if you look at that statement, what does it do to you? Speak, I show. Come on, speak, speak. And I said, it says, here now begins the study of yoga. I said, no, 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 go into it. Here now refers to what? I don't know. So he said, here means in this time and this place here now. Now means this time here, this part begins the study of yoga. This is going to open up the whole world for you. And I said, really? He said, think about the space and time connection with yoga. You might have tried all, all kinds of things. You have been educated up to high school, now in college, but you came here now begins the study of yoga. You have to take it, see it. For five years, I learned yoga from him on the side. And he told me, you're the best student I ever had. And you learned all this because I memorized the old yoga sutras at that point, 196 sutras of yoga. I still remember the first 15, I have forgotten. That was 60 some years ago. Come on, I can't remember all this. So what is it that I learned from that yoga? That yoga means balance. And what is this balance yoga is teaching us? And if you can get that balance, it gives you the perfect health and it heals you, you become holy. And what are these? He just simply said, 
There are three parts to a human being. There's the physical part. There's an emotional part, which is coming from your heart. There's a mental part. So yoga will teach you to recognize these three parts separately and together. Yoga gives you good habits of the body through asanas, physical postures. There are 64,000 of those postures. Secondly, it gives you breathing exercises to control your emotion, your heart. And thirdly, it will give you meditative exercise to control your mind its fluctuation. It wanders around, make it fixed. Once you learn those habits of the body, habits of the heart, habits of the mind, you balance them, then you are healed. Your spirit expresses itself, and then you flourish. Then you are a spiritual being. Spirit is not something lurking around. It's the balance, functioning of these three parts of you. Brilliant. Brilliant. This is great. As a kid, doing my master's degree there, and I said, that's what I'm going to do in the future when I'm a successful person. I'm going to start teaching people yoga, how to heal themselves. That's the most important thing in our life, to be healthy, to be full, whole. And one thing which I learned from him before I left those classes and came to University of Hawaii on East-West Center grant, and that was that East-West Center was made possible because I got into philosophy, because I got into yoga and meditation. And what can I contribute to the people at the East-West Center? And that's where I started doing my PhD. And I realized that there was something very beautiful about a philosophy called existentialism. And some other, my mind said, initially, I'm repulsed by it. I, some other, don't like the absurdity which Sartre, Camus, Heidegger, uh, Morlo-Ponte, and others representing. What are they talking about? But then, on a certain moment, when I read this book called Nausea, three, four, five times, suddenly I was enlightened. I said, I see what this guy is trying to say. It's very similar to yoga, because you reach that point of neutrality where you have this experience. You may call it mystical experience, or you may call it absurdist experience. It's a zero experience. You can come up with any interpretation. There is the experience, there is the interpretation. The experience is this zero experience. Interpretation, if you're an existentialist, it's absurd. If you're a yogi, it's beautiful, it's enlightening, joyful, it's total happiness, it's total bliss, it's an infinite consciousness enjoying itself eternally. It all depends what your background is. It's left to you as a person. And suddenly all the religions in the world started making sense to me. 
all the religion of the world were created by these prophets and these prophets were enlightened and they, whatever they understood with their mindset, whatever their consciousness could comprehend, they put it in their books, whether it's the Bible or it's Talmud or whether it's Quran, it's the Bhagavad Gita, it's Tao Te Ching or it's Zoroastrian's uh, you know, story of the Phoenix and so forth or Jainism or Buddhism, all these are interpretations of the finite mind which got enlightened. And all of them trying to get to that zero experience which yoga was talking about, existentialism and nausea was talking. It was just an amazing, amazing experience. I know, I told you, I'm a talker. You know it from my class. <laughs> I know it in a in the best way possible, Dr. Malhotra. That oh, I think will, will bring us to the end of this section, which is a really beautiful way to 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 end this part, which has to do with this understanding of bridging the East and the West. And I have to say that in listening to you lecturing over the years. That has always been an inspiring point to me, that the East and the West are not that separate in one way, in the sense that we as human beings can wake up in a variety of ways that may be conditioned by our culture, but we have that same awakening experience. And in our next sec session, when we get together, we're going to talk about how that awakening made its way into the actions of your life, the things, the amazing accomplishments that you've had and the way that you have contributed to the wider world. So I want to thank you for part two. And I think I can speak for everyone when I say that we look forward to hearing from you about part three. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Cultures of Health and Healing with Robert Fetter. Thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe and rate this show and share it with others. Until next time, remember, your health and healing matter, and you can find your own unique path to optimum wellness.